Well, hey, good evening. Good evening, good evening. It's a great Monday evening, 95 degrees here in Sacramento, which is normal for the summer. At least we're down to 95. Anyway, it feels like spring. But anyway, my name is Charlotte, and I am your host, and I will be your host for the next hour or so. And we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. This show is important. This is our 50th show in this format. Back in September, I decided I was going to do a video-formatted show instead of a call-in show that we used to do on Blog Talk Radio. And um, I made that change, and it was huge for me and for the people that stuck with us from the beginning. Of, uh, for, for, you know, in the beginning, I was not used to being in front of a camera, so I had some growing pains. But I can honestly say uh, we've come a long way since then. In fact, um, back in at the end of March, I started to send this back out as a podcast. After every show, for people that don't know, I take the audio off of here and I and I, I feed it as, uh, as a podcast. So that more people can uh, can hear it, you know, can reach more people. And since March 30th, we are really close to a thousand downloads on the show. Right now, we're sitting 34 below a thousand downloads. So we're doing really good. The show's gaining momentum. It's because of you guys sharing it. You know, like like the whole thing is to share it with five people. And uh, more interest, more interest, more interest. But I'm really excited about tonight. My name is Charlotte again. And I am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're 35 strong. We're located up and down the state of California, Washington, Oregon, uh, Nevada, and Hawaii. And uh, if you need help, give us, give us a ring, okay? Anyway, we got a great guest tonight. We got Joshua Cutchin. I've been wanting to talk with this gentleman for a long time. He has uh, some different views on Sasquatch and uh, even fairy folk. So... Um, we're going to talk to him and uh, see what he has to say about that stuff. And I, I think you guys are going to find it really interesting because the last time I heard him on a show, I was just absolutely fascinated by what he had to say. So without further ado, let me bring him on up. Hello, Joshua. Hi there. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. You were just fascinating on the other, I'm not going to say which show, but the other show. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> the show which shall not be named. <laughs> yes, the, the competition. Okay. Big, of course, we can't compete with that anyway. You know what I mean? There's okay. just no way. But um, I was glad you wanted to come on and talk about this stuff because you had some really unique views on the Sasquatch that I never even thought about before. Yeah, uh, you know, you're very kind in saying unique. I know some people think that I've lost the plot a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I. Uh, it's kind of an interesting position. Um, I have always tended towards being uh, going against the grain with things like 
the extraterrestrial hypothesis for UFOs. Um, sometimes I even go against the dead people hypothesis for, <laughs> for ghosts. Um, but also, you know, hand in hand with that goes sort of uh, going against the what my co-author Timothy Renner and I called the flesh and blood hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of an odd position because, uh, you know, Tim and I both very much believe that people see these things. And we believe that the, there are phenomena that leave uh, that leave impacts upon the environment that are very consistent with a large hairy primate. But at the same time, the skeptics make some really compelling arguments. Sure. So the question is, how does someone who is trying, who's sitting in the middle of those two things, how do you reconcile that? And I think that the... Uh, the best way to approach it in that sense is from a more paranormal perspective. Mm -hmm. So um, how long did it take you to do this research, you know, and to try and figure all this stuff out? So, you know, I, I, I usually, uh, it takes me about a six months to a year to research a book and then six months to a year to write a book. Um, but I had, uh, I was under the gun for this one because I had uh, two, well, yeah, two two boys on the way. <laughs> my my set of twin sons. Um, so I think I I think I researched and wrote my portions of the book in uh, in about six months. Which you know it's two volumes, uh, each about eighty thousand words. So it's basically like one of my full books that I researched and wrote in that amount of time. But I think part of that was due to the fact that there really is no shortage of the sort of material that Tim and I wanted to cover, mm -hmm. and really looking at you know all the outlines that. Uh, well, they're, they're the sort of outliers that puzzle a lot of uh, cryptozoologists and a lot of skeptics use as ammunition against the phenomena. And Timothy and I wanted to say, well, how do we reconcile these things? And in order to do that, you end up looking things like looking at things like Carl Jung and the collective unconscious. You end up looking a lot into folklore. You end up looking a lot into indigenous folklore as well. And uh, you know, it was really incredible to me um, how often find parallels to other sort of phenomena you know i sort of yeah. joked that sort of joke that these books aren't really about bigfoot as much as they're about everything else through the bigfoot lens right mm -hmm. bigfoot correspond with you know old world uh witch folklore how does bigfoot uh align with fairy folklore little people folklore that you see around the world how does it line with line up with uh sort of what we see in hauntings Etc. So that's volume one focuses on folklore. Volume two focuses a little bit more on evidence and some of the really confounding things uh, that we see in a lot of these Bigfoot cases, like you know these oddly numbered toes on footprints, and uh, mm -hmm. obviously where the title of the title of the two two works uh, come from, where the footprints in these these uh, trackways that just suddenly end in the middle of a field or something. You know, the conventional cryptozoological explanation is. Oh well, the Bigfoot jumped, but sometimes these are really, really, really big fields where they should have. You know, if Bigfoot can jump like this, it's the most amazing animal ever. Mm -hmm. In addition to other traits that it has that make it the most remarkable animal ever. Um, but uh, you know, so, so they'll say that, or they'll say that Bigfoot tiptoed backwards through the footprints, and or these different things. And um, you know, I, I believe these these are often anomalous trackways that people find, but. To say that you've got a monkey that's tiptoeing backwards through its footprints, or that it's brushing out its footprint, it, it just it just um, it really is a violation of uh, the true meaning of Occam's razor, which everybody says Occam's razor is the simplest answer is true. That's not quite what Occam's razor is. Occam's razor really is about not multiplying variables unnecessarily, and in the case of saying that there's a big, it realizes that it 
doesn't want to be caught and is going to tiptoe backwards through its footprints and wipe out its. <laughs> it's just, it's just a little bit silly for me. And right, I, I realize that fully well. Saying that, I know that me saying things like portals or dimensions or um, literally these things sort of uh, dematerializing um, out of our out of our physical space mm-hmm. or you know thought forms like tulpas and stuff. I realize that that's silly for some people too, but you know, I, I, I think that, uh, I think that it's a better fit for these phenomena that we're seeing personally. Well, I always had a thought that, you know, because if these aliens are doing tests, you know, like they were doing tests, like way back in the Egyptian times on, on, on us, you know, with the abductions and everything, what if they were built, that they were creating these hybrids and that's what these things are is they're, they're, I'm not going to say mistakes, but maybe they're <laughs> maybe it's it's the ones that you know that they just didn't quite get right. Yeah, Bigfoot needs some love too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you know so many of the of the things that we see cryptozoologists sort of having an interest in are are uh, are sort of man animal hybrids. I think that's really interesting. I think that says a lot, um, especially if you think about the role that what are called therianthropes play in a mm-hmm. lot of major religions, you know, sort of like, so in case your audience doesn't know, I'm sure you do, but you know, animal headed deities or people, you know, th- animals that are half human, half, uh, sure. half, a- half animal. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, Bigfoot is a good example of something that could, um, with just a few tweaks be something flesh and blood and, and quite real right to say nothing of the fact that like we have we have evidence in the fossil re- record for things like bigfoot like right. i'm pretty sure that dog man is not flesh and blood i'm sorry <laughs> like like i can i can kind of firmly say that because there's just there's there's no real antecedent for it um so yeah i mean you you, you might be onto something there because when I'm you saying, think about yeah. it well, when you think about it you know and the more people that so that, that supposedly get abducted and they get taken and they see the hybrids. The hybrids are looking more and more human. So I yeah, mean, it's not like yeah. it's not like they had the technology. I mean, that, well, even back centuries ago, let's let's think like our technology. Okay, they had to obviously build up their technology just like we're building up our technology. And they didn't have the technology to make these these more human hybrids at that point. So they were just starting out, and this is what happened. Well, that is something that you see in, in the uh, you know the alien abduction literature. You're looking at somebody like um, oh, what's his name. Uh, David Jacobs, who was saying, you know, that there are alien human hybrids and that uh, over time they've gotten more and more human. They've been sort mm-hmm. of the alien parts been diluted out of them um, to the extent that they're now, you know, hubrids. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that that's there's they're going to that, especially in the sense that, you know, I, I think that it's a little bit foolish to separate the Bigfoot uh, problem from the UFO problem because. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as my co-author Timothy, uh, said, and I thought this was really quite prescient. He said two things, which stuck with me. Um, the first one is, uh, in response to people who have said, well, I, well, the aliens are just investigating the Bigfoots. Okay. So <laughs> that's multiplying variables unnecessarily. Right. But the other thing he says, okay, well, you don't see UFOs like investigating orangutans or, or gorillas right, right? <laughs> and the other thing that he said was you know it's it's rare to see bigfoot and it's rare to see a ufo for the average person right mm-hmm. how many orders of magnitude rarer is it to see them close together or on the same night like it, i think it really does imply that there's a connection there um now you know your mileage may vary on whether or not we're not that's like right. a physical nuts and bolts spacecraft or, or right, whatever. Right, but right. but I think that between that and a lot of these shared things between the phenomena, I mean, 
you know, some of the, two two examples that I find really fascinating that I wasn't even aware of being an issue in Bigfoot lore are uh, what I call the motif of the unwakeable spouse or the unwakeable sleeper, right? So the idea that uh, you'll see this a lot of times in uh, alien abduction folklore, but you also find it in like fairy texts from the 19th century where uh, somebody like in the case of the fairy text, a woman will wake up and see her child being taken away by the fairies and she's trying to wake her husband up and her husband won't wake up. The husband or wife will hear this 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 sound and they'll try to wake their spouse up and they won't move. Right. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be dar- I'll be darned if you don't see the same thing in Bigfoot stories as well. Um, I can think of two examples. One of them was a, a researcher who had set up a perimeter around his camp and for the express purpose of like being alerted if Bigfoot was in the area and uh, something that sounded a lot like Bigfoot with a lot of other Bigfoot ish sort of phenomena around it. Mm-hmm trip the wire and he's awake and he's trying to shake his friend awake and he couldn't wake him up another good example was doug hadjacek um who was uh running one of the expeditions up near snow grove lake i believe ontario um side of a lot of bigfoot activity said that one night he and his son and another researcher were in this cabin and like the entire cabin was shaking and there were things on the roof and there were rocks being thrown at it he's freaking out because this is a place where people have seen bigfoot there's all this bigfoot activity and he goes he says he's literally beating on (laughs) the other researcher to the point that he feels like he's hurting him and the guy doesn't wake up until all the activity is over now two things um Either he's lying, which I don't think he is. He seems to be right. a pretty credible person. Or he's expressing this other motif that goes back further and further and further. And I, you know, I don't really know the guy, but I, I don't think that he's reading, you know, Wirt Sykes's British Goblins from 1880, right? Right, <laughs> um, right, right, right. So there's, so there's that that fascinates me. That's, that's a, a connection. And these are just two of like, you know, I'm sure you listen to the interview. So like two of like, you know, a dozen and a half connections that we can make. But the other one is missing time in Bigfoot encounters. You know, you have missing mm-hmm. time in fairyland where you go into fairyland and you think that you're there for a day and it turns out it's been a year or, you know, in a lot of this UFO lore, uh, the trip home that should have taken 30 minutes is like what is missing four hours. You have no idea where that missing time went. There are people who encounter Bigfoot and have um, these missing time encounters you know oh i i thought that it must have been five minutes but it was really 30 minutes and it's like yeah that's not the way that people's perception of time works in, in stress right they, they tend right. to take they tend to take small amounts of time and stretch them out they don't take large amounts of time and compress them so i think that's just really interesting and it does it's one of those things in addition to the fact that people just see bigfoot on ufos in ufos um you know coming out of ufos or they'll see a bigfoot and they'll see a ufo take off above the forest not super, not super common, but common enough that I think it's dishonest to just sort of hand wave it away as no connection. Well, to kind of regress too on this, I've never been thinking about this while I've been talking to you. I mean, it may not even been a fact that they were experimenting for the hybrids, because for those that believe in evolution, when you think about it, if they went, you know, if the aliens went back to the time when the Neanderthals and all these all these things were were on the Earth. And beamed them aboard, or you know, took them aboard, and then wanted to try and you know make them into a hybrid. Well, they're not advanced enough. Well, or I mean, like if 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 we're going to sort of go down that line of speculation, <laughs> um, you know, so so I mentioned that there's things like Bigfoot in the fossil record, but nothing mm-hmm. that seems to be a quite 
nothing seems to be a great match, right? Right. People will say Gigantopithecus blocky, but I, I, it just if you look at like depictions of Gigantopithecus and what they think it was, it just looked like a big tired orangutan about nine feet tall who just like used to like just barely, not bipedal, right? Mostly, right. mostly a quadruped. But like if if we're going back at that sort of a time depth, um, you know, it stands to reason that they could have abducted, you know, one of our ancestors, hundreds of thousands, if not, well, I guess hundreds of thousands of years ago, probably. And uh, they went on their own divergent evolutionary course that we didn't take, you know? Well, yeah, and then you think about that, you know, how our evolutionary process worked, do You know, right. to learn fire and all this, well, I mean, maybe there was some help. I think that, I think that even, so, you know, here's, here's my thing. I'm not really big onto the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I, I tend to think that that a lot of the things that we see in the UFO literature are I don't want to say spiritual because that that makes it sound like I'm 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 being pushed I'm pushing everything in the like some sort of Judeo-Christian right. sort of thing. But um I, I do think that they 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 tend to look a lot more like like myths come to life in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um but having said that, regardless of whether or not you're on the nuts and bolts spacecraft with flesh and blood aliens uh train or you're on sort of my train it really is a similar idea you have this intervention of uh species from off planet uh as mm-hmm. sort of helping us out and honestly you know I, I i i don't still don't think the idea of panspermia has been uh discredited in fact i think things like oumuamua from what was that two three years ago mm-hmm. um you know, suggest that it's entirely possible, if not likely, that that's where how life gets seeded across the universe. But also, you can look at mythology and these sort of themes that we have of uh, what could be called civilizing tricksters, right? So you've got, a, you know, classic example is Prometheus, who stole fire from the gods to bring to mankind. Right. And, uh, you know, is, is, that, <laughs> is that a poetic version of the way that we discovered fire? Is it a literal... Um, God coming and bringing that to us, or demigod, right. I guess, or is it, or is it another, or is it a metaphor for you know uh, extraterrestrial intervention? Right. Yes, all of the above. None of the. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all of it. You know, in some ways. This is fascinating to me. I mean, you know, um, to to talk about this, and I remember um, listening to you on, on the other show. We were talking about you, you were talking about orbs in the forest. Yeah. Um, so this is something that. I suppose that the origin of this project, because this was kind of Tim's baby, but um, it kind of came together. I think Tim might have gotten the idea um, because we had both contributed to David Weatherly's uh, third volume of Woodknocks, which is a collection of Bigfoot essays. And my essay was about something that we can get to later if you want to, but sure. um, the idea the idea of the intersection of poltergeist phenomena and Bigfoot uh Bigfoot phenomena, what people associate with those two things. But that, I think, in and of itself was kind of inspired by my good friend uh, and host of Where the Road Go podcast, Soraya Azkath, who said that the thing that tends to link all these phenomena, you know, in addition to, honestly, poltergeist phenomena or some other things, but, like, one of the one of the things that appears in practically every paranormal topic are these balls and orbs of light. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, and it's so much of that is uh, is really context-dependent, right? By which I mean that you see a ball of light in the sky and you say, oh, it's a UFO. And you right. see it in a forest and you're like, oh, it's, you know, 
the good folk or you know bigfoot we can or you know you see it in a haunted house and it's a ghost right yeah um but yeah these balls of light these orbs these ghost lights whatever you want to call them um or even earth lights because there are some indications that they could be produced by natural tectonic stress and mm -hmm. things like that um have a very high incidence to appear in areas with bigfoot activity and i think that should raise again as we were talking about before right the rarity of these things that should raise some questions for some people um and it's something that really talked about that much even five years ago you know but there are some individuals in the field who uh have started talking about it i i contribute i attribute rather um Wes Grimmer from Sasquatch Chronicles, who started talking openly about this, seeing some lights at the same area where he had his encounter. Uh -huh. And then just collecting stories from people of the same thing. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that if you get the if you get the the flesh and blood Bigfoot proponent to the bar after the conference, after their presentation, and you get a drink or two, and we're like, Yeah, we we you know, we went on the expedition to this place that has a lot of Bigfoot activity, and we didn't see any Bigfoot that time, but we saw these ghost lights. Um, you know, the the there are even stories of, of Bigfoot like holding or capturing these these orbs or Bigfoot turning into these orbs or coming out of these orbs. And by Bigfoot, I mean like a catch-all for giant, for giant hairy hominids the world over. Right. Um, there was, a, I think, there's some cases in the book from like the Philippines where the, when we saw a Bigfoot, <laughs> I love this story, Bigfoot, this big hairy, okay, not a Bigfoot because it's Philippines and it's cultural, culturally dependent, but you, you get my idea. Right. A Bigfoot, a Bigfoot shrink until it was so tiny and then it popped into a light orb and then it just sort of <laughs> drifted off into the sky. You know, I, the subtitle of, of the books are, uh, you know, uh, High Strangeness and the Bigfoot Phenomena, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I, I really do have a, a strong love for those, those high strangeness cases, those, those strange dreamlike dream logic things that you find in these accounts um because man if i'm gonna make up a story <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna include that goofy stuff you know um, well, we know when you think about it all the a lot of the ufo photos that came out early on like back in the 70s were all out of the philippines yeah um you know it's 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 a it's a section of the world there's ufology to go off on a minor little tangent here has some real blinders on and like I'm, I'm part of the problem too um you know we get a lot of cases from north america we get a lot of cases we actually do a pretty good job with south america primarily brazil but south america in general europe got that covered australia got that covered but um asia outside of like maybe japan and korea just there's just not a lot of data and you know africa is just a, a complete black hole of ufo knowledge in terms of what gets passed along to the west or or probably also what westerners focus on because right. of you know implicit biases but uh there's a lot of strange things that happen in island southeast asia and uh, if anybody's interested in sort of looking following up on that there's a great researcher who does not get enough love named ahmad jamaluddin I can't tell you how to spell his last name, except that it starts with a J and ends with D-I-N. Uh, but he's a great researcher um, who has been doing some very important work quietly in the background. And uh, yeah, some really strange UFO flaps and little people sightings and spirit phenomena and even their own sort of, uh, you know, wild men in that part of the mm -hmm. country as well. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about Bigfoot, you're talking about, um, you know, maybe maybe he's coming through maybe a portal. 
or something like that. Like you say, I mean, they can't walk backwards, obviously, you know, over their footsteps. Their footsteps need to disappear. I mean, I mean, I mean they, they, could, they could be doing that. I don't know. I just, I just, I try to picture that in a world like, you know, let's, let's, let, let, let's really simplify it. Like in a world where there is nothing paranormal, because that's kind of the buy-in, right? Or at least okay. that's what the flesh and blood cryptozoological community wants to okay. you to believe, right? There are no ghosts, nothing paranormal. It's all a bunch of, you know, fossilized or creatures that should be fossilized, right? In that scenario, I have I have trouble believing that, but it's not just that. I have trouble believing that they do that and that they are the world's best mimics and that they're the world's best jumpers and that they have self illuminating eyes and that they uh, can stay so still appear like logs and that they have infrasound. Like it's 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 like if we are to believe every explanation that the cryptozoological community trots out, it's it's literally the most. It's it's like the most or the best in like fifteen zoological categories, and that's that makes me kind of go well. You know, are we doing this? Oh, sorry. I think we froze there for a second. Yeah, that's okay. I, it's kind of um, funny though. <laughs> I know, right? I was I interrupted oh you and we froze. I jinxed it. It's... <laughs> I was just trying to see if you came back. Um, I was just thinking about that, what you were saying. And, you know, it's like anything else, like like, like mythology with stories passed on through the ages. You know, the story starts out a certain way. And then as it's passed on from person to person, it gets more and more, you know, exciting. Yeah, and maybe it's, this it's, is what's yeah. happened with Sasquatch over the years, that, that the, these stories have been passed down. And then, then somebody adds to them and somebody adds to them and somebody adds to them. Like a game of telephone or something, right? Um, mm -hmm. And 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 yeah, and this is where I think that I probably part ways with a lot of a lot of people who are just honestly looking at this sort of sort of like you know some sort of ghost phenomenon or something. Like I kind of think, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I kind of think that the line between fiction and reality is a lot more permeable than we do. I mean, if you look at indigenous cultures, some of them don't even distinguish fiction from from fact and i'm not saying that in some sort of like artsy fartsy postmodern sort of way i i guess what i'm trying to say is that um is that i i i put a difference between imaginary and imaginal and but by, by which i mean I've used this example some. Uh, Patrick Harper wrote Demonic Reality, one of, I think, the best books on the paranormal. And at one point he talks about how, uh, for example, in a movie or something, you could be watching a movie about two fictional people in a fictional relationship, but, like, the way that the relationship plays out and the emotions that you feel are, like, the truest thing ever, right? And I think that, you know, if you look at that through the lens that parapsychology is providing these days that our minds can, can influence in some ways um, that, that, that makes the whole idea a little bit easier to swallow. I mean, because I, I heard this recently, I don't know if you, I'm, I'm sort of asking around about this because I'm trying to find out if it's true, but I think I heard somewhere that the first incident of a car being stopped by a UFO, by the engine going dead appeared in fiction. Oh, okay. And if that's true, at the same time, I have to reconcile that with the fact that I do think that there are UFOs that are stopping people's cars. So, yeah. is there some sort of phenomena that's playing with our expectations? You know, 
Um, so as people are, are, as you say, perhaps sort of embellishing the Bigfoot story as it goes, as it goes through, perhaps there is some sort of other intelligence that sometimes wearing the mask of Bigfoot, sometimes wearing the mask of little people or UFOs or whatever, that's not sort of seeing our expectations and going, oh, this is what humans or this is what this other consciousness, I guess, right. expects from me. I'll, I'll sort of adjust accordingly to, to fit that. Um, because otherwise, I think a lot of times you run into this problem of, you know, it's it's all bunk or every idea is absolutely true. And I, I just, it's a weird place to be. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. It's nice to talk to you because you're you're you, you look at this stuff logically. You know, you're looking at this from a different perspective. Well, just I, like I, 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 no, I, I appreciate that. Um, I. You know, it's kind of funny, like, I, I, there's been a big kerfuffle over the past, like, uh, two weeks or so, three weeks or so, about uh, the Travis Walton case, um, you know, famous okay. alien abduction case, about whether it's true or not. And I just, I'm, where I kind of come from is, A, I don't have a lot of skin in the game, like, okay, it's not true. All right, moving on. Like, <laughs> there are like a thousand other cases that I think that I think that are true, so what difference does that make? But also, like, for me, it's the expression of these, of these myths, that, like, for example, in the Travis Walton case, I found an incident of a of a, like a fifth, sorry, sixteenth century individual who was abducted by the Wild Hunt. You know, the 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 ghost horde that traveled through Europe, and like it's beat for beat the Travis Walton case. Like he goes to the he goes to a forest and he hears a buzzing sound and he's transported somewhere and his his uh, cousin is accused of murdering him and a couple of days, you know, four weeks later he shows back up and he's, he tells this story about what happened to him. And like the way that that appears again in the Travis Walton story is more interesting to me than this, you know, binary yes or no Travis Walton was lying or he's not like that to me is the interesting part. Um, and I'm sure that like, you know, being like, I'm, I'm, I'm in this point in my life where I'm really envious of ghost hunters because right. <laughs> I want to do a lot more of it, but I'm sure that you've seen this too. Like, where um ghosts will sometimes like people have genuine ghost sightings but they they conform to things that people are expecting you know like i, I think about like uh what is it the myrtles plantation yes yeah was, uh i can't remember what the, the slave girl's name was um slave woman's name but like there's no there was never a slave by that name and of that description but people still see it and enough people have talked about seeing that people actually do see it and we're not talking about mass hysteria here i think that there's generally something to the, the phenomena reacting to people that way oh i agree um there's a place up i can't remember called latitudes up in auburn up here that's had the same issue where there really wasn't anything in there but yet paranormal group after paranormal group go in there and they're picking up EVPs because everybody wants it to be there. Yeah. And, and, you know, I sort of alluded to the, to the psi, the, the psi psychic sort of uh, component mm -hmm. um, earlier, but I, I think that there's a lot of power in, in, in that research that's out there. I'm talking about people like Dean Radin, Daryl Bim and Rupert Sheldrake, um, people who are doing, especially in the case of Dean Radin, um, some really well laboratory controlled experiments that are proving mm -hmm. this, you know, the human mind can, can affect things just beyond, you know, 50, 50 chance, which, you know, I think has all sorts of implications for how, how we influence and interact and, and, uh, our, the reality that we have around us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
my father always had a saying, you know, if you wish long enough and you, and you hope and you hope hard enough, you know, and, 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 and you just sit there and, 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 and dwell on it, it will come true. And that was his saying always. And I think that kind of goes into some of these paranormal sightings as well. You know, I, I really do. Just like a lot of the TV shows, everything's negative on these TV shows. I get phone calls every day with people. It's a demon in my house. I know it's a demon in my house. So I'm like, well, how do you know it's a demon in your house? Oh, because I, because I know. And it's like, well, have you been watching TV? Well, yeah. Well, we, yeah, we don't yeah. know what it is, you know. Or, 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 or I mean, like it started out neutral, and you're watching TV, and you're feeding that that whatever it is, you know. Yeah, it's it it's, it comes down to me like I I remember I, I've I'll have conversations with people about like you know something, and they'll say oh it's just placebo, and I'm like, just placebo is such a loaded term. I can't believe that we gloss over that as a culture. Like the idea that your your mind can make associations and have a certain attitude that can physically change your entire um, attitude is just it's wild, or you know, on the on the reverse side of it, and the nocebos, mm-hmm. right? People who are told that they're cursed and they get self fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. Um, that to me, that to me says that we're embedded in some sort of reality that really, really responds to the way that we that we think and that we frame and that we the energy that we put out. Honestly, right, 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 right. Now we were talking about Bigfoot, and you you mentioned poltergeist activity around big around Bigfoot cases. Yeah, so I, I don't think this is something that I. Uh, for a fact that this is not something that I was the, the first person to, to, to notice. Um, mm-hmm. But like whenever I'd come across people talking about it, it would be like a paragraph or a sentence or something and they move on. Um, so I'm like, let's look at this a little bit more closely, shall we? Um, which is the fact that a lot of Bigfoot activity is a perfect fit for poltergeist activity. Like if you take what the BFRO, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization calls mm-hmm. class B reports, which are the reports where everything happens except for Bigfoot, right? So you've right. got rocks thrown, you've got voices, you've got bad smells, you've got like footprints, you've got um, banging on the trees. Yeah, banging on the trees, raps or knocks, right? Um, and you, you take all that and you put it in a forest and it's Bigfoot, but you take that exact suite of exact same suite of phenomena and put it into a house and it's a poltergeist case, like a hundred percent, um, you know, items misplaced or moving. Like it's, 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 it's a one for one, uh, comparison. And, uh, it, obviously we've seen primates throwing rocks and things. And it's, it's entirely likely that that might be a primate. That's the source of that in the woods. But, uh, I find some of the, the parallels really interesting. One of the more interesting parallels is that in the, uh, Minerva monster case in Ohio in the 1970s, um, very famous case that was chronicled in the first small town documentary by Seth Breedlove and company. Um, there were the brothers who were at, you know, Ridge behind their house where they'd often see the Bigfoot as the Bigfoot was like, you know, seen around this town. And they'd see this figure stalking the ridge line and they'd throw rocks up. And one time they even marked a rocks with an X and they threw it up and the rock the back of them. But the rocks were warm to the touch when they held them. And uh that's yes, it could be the Bigfoot holding it in its hand, right? Um but it's also the exact same thing that you see in poltergeist phenomena, where these items, these ports that happen. Um rocks that just appear in the middle that drop from the ceiling that no one can see um actually are, are filmed with sometimes with with thermal imaging and they'll actually see mm-hmm. it start hot and then slowly get cooler um so there's things like that but there's also like the 
things that you don't normally hear about in Bigfoot reports also happen in sorry, the things that you don't the things from poltergeist reports that you don't hear in Bigfoot reports actually do happen in Bigfoot reports, is what I was trying to say. Um I'll uh, I'll talk about one famous example after I bring something else up. Okay. Um, you know, the, what I just said also can be said vice versa, by which I mean people have reported big hairy animals during seances. So so the two places that you see poltergeist phenomena are, you know, hauntings generally associated with a, you know, prepubescent teen or something. You know, I don't know. That, if I saw a big hairy thing during a seance, I'd be out of there. Boy. I know, right? It would be, I would, well, first I'd, I'd soil myself and then I'd, <laughs> I'd be out of there. <laughs> but yeah, the second place that you see it is in, is in, is in seances, you know, these spiritualist seances is where you see, is where you see poltergeist phenomena. And a couple of different um, documented cases that I record, I, I found um, of people like literally seeing like an ape man or seeing a figure that was either uh, covered in, in furs or something. Uh, but this is in addition to like dozens of dozens of stories of people being grabbed by hairy hands in seances. Um, so, you know, even if, even if you're in the woods and you see a hairy hand reach out from behind a tree, no, can we, you know, is it Bigfoot or not? I know. Right. Or a hairy, hairy hand reach into your tent. There's a, there's a great story of a of a uh, of a sailor on a on a fishing vessel who was like eating a sandwich late at night and he's got his the porthole open he's like I don't know like a hundred yards out into a bay or something and this big hairy hand reaches in and grabs a sandwich oh, yeah. like the idea this bigfoot swam across yeah. but no 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 not for me um but uh, another case where Poulter so. Circling back around to what I mentioned Sorry, earlier. Sorry, I threw you off. No, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. Um, this is just the way my brain works. Um, uh, mentioning, you know, poltergeist stuff that you don't hear about happening in Bigfoot reports, right. happening in Bigfoot reports. Um, classic example of sort of why the why I think Tim and I should have written these books. Somebody should have written these books a longer time, long time ago, is uh, the Ape Canyon account, and. Um, account you know is one of the ones that cryptozoologists like to trot out all the time about you know these monkeys these big monkeys basically that ass assaulted a, ca a, a cabin near mount right. st helens in washington right. and they're reaching you know the, the they're miners they're miners at a mining camp oh. and they're shooting through the the holes in the, in the log cabin and their fingers are reaching in like they're throwing rocks at it you hear about it all the time like i would say if you're going to include like the top five most harrowing Bigfoot accounts, right? You're going to include that. But one of the few people that ever really recorded the incident was Fred Beck. And Fred Beck um, lived a very strange life, according to him. Um, and that strange life extended to the Ape Canyon incident in ways that we don't normally associate. Um, according to him, uh, they were guided to the mining claim by a spirit that he called Vander White, this this spirit lady. They were guided there by a flying white arrow in the sky. Wow. Um, once they got to the Ape Canyon site, they were hearing strange noises from underground. Um, you know, one thing you'll hear in a one thing that does appear in, in even the more conventional retellings of the story is that he, as one of the miners, took a pot shot at a Bigfoot, and that's sort of the in, the the instant right. the uh, right, right, right. all the all the, the violence. But um, you know, they also found a pair of footprints, just one, just 
just left foot, right foot in the middle of a sandbar uh, that was in the middle of like a river with like 60 yards of, of untouched sand all around it. Uh, I think the quote at the time from, from the folks that were with Fred Beck were that uh, it looked as if someone had dropped something from out of the sky and picked it back up. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the poltergeist stuff. Um, Fred Beck claimed that at the Ape Canyon uh, cabin, he had a pencil materialize in his hand in a port. And it was a pencil that he knew was like he had he had left back home, I believe. Um, so you have all this weird attendant phenomena that sounds much more like what you'd find from, honestly, kind of like a theosophical text or something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't think, I think I asked someone if they thought the dates lined up and that Fred Beck could have actually been a theosophist, but I, I can't recall. Um, but yeah, it, it just it it, it it does imply that we should uh, we should be getting our peanut butter mixed in with our jelly a little bit more because to silo off these different categories, you know, oh, you deal with ghosts and the Bigfoot people are crazy, or I deal with Bigfoot and the UFO people are crazy. Like, it does seem that um, these these Venn diagrams, if they're not a perfect circle, have a lot of overlap, like more yes. overlap than than they don't. Yeah. Yes. See, I've always thought, you know, I started to think after reading um, that book, The Abduction in the Mojave. And it got me to thinking about what I do. Because when they were talking how the aliens can, uh, can, can materialize through walls and all that, and I thought, well, maybe we're, maybe we're not hunting what we think we're hunting. Maybe, maybe we're hunting, we're actually communicating with, the, with these hybrid aliens or these aliens. Yeah, I mean, or, I mean, so... I'm I'm a little bit biased right now because the project that I'm working on is is um sort of rounding the horn on it. I'm about I would say seventy percent done. Um, is looking at all these different phenomena through the lens of of it all being having to do with death, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, um, I kind of wonder if you know, death is just such a big question mark, and you know, I'm. I am a Christian and I have my beliefs, but I'm, I'm a weirdo Christian um, and uh, not by practice, by choice. Um, and I think that we have so many questions about what lies like, just, just on the other side of that, that barrier. And, you know, the idea that it's some sort of other world populated by things that look like Bigfoot and that look like aliens and look like all sorts of things mm -hmm. is not out of the question. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, there are so many, it's, it's like a fractal, right? There are so many different options that you have. Like, are you hunting ghosts and contacting aliens? Are you hunting right. ghosts and contacting alien ghosts that are now untethered right. from time right. and space, you know? Um, it's just, you know, or are, you know, uh, if, if, if you're familiar with those remote viewing experiments that were done in the uh, 70s, uh, I think it was, oh, I always get those guys mixed up. Um might have been Hal Putoff. It might have been no Ingo Swan. It was one of those guys, right? One of those remote viewing guys talked about viewing uh, a colony on the moon, and mm -hmm. they actually could see like the, the, he got a reaction from the moon people, right? Which I don't know if that's that's the case, right? But it does beg the question because some other remote viewing, uh, you know, results actually had some actionable intelligence that was military. Um, so it implies that there's some sort of reality to it. Um, what if UFOs are 
aliens remote viewing us. Like it's not a craft. They're projecting right. their consciousness here to watch us. You know, there's right. there's so many more. And that's and that's part of what I that's part of why I, I enjoy sort of poking the bear of, of the establishment when it comes to the stuff, because there are so many wild and uh rich different ways that we can look at these things. And you're thinking right there about like, you know, well, I'm, and when I'm on a ghost investigation, am I contacting aliens is another idea that's just, it just, again, it mixes my <laughs> chocolate, and my peanut butter. <laughs> and I, and I, love well, it. A, I love it. Well, that's the thing too, because a lot of the EVPs we get sound like, you know, a good majority of what people don't realize. Sure. They sound somewhat human, but they're always whispered like they're way off in some other dimension. They're um, some of them are mechanical sounding. You get the mechanical voices, and it makes you wonder whether or not it is this alien thing where where you're going through these dimensions. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And then you look at, um, you know, you look at the the robust channeling history that mm-hmm. you know is channeling gods and dead loved ones and ashtar space command and you know all this different stuff i think there are even some you know there there are some sort of channel bigfoot texts that are out there and i'm I'm not saying that everything is true in that sense i'm saying that everything not contradicting what i said earlier (laughs) i'm not saying everything is true i think that everything can influence the way the way that we see these things in reality but i'm not saying that like people are contacting ashtar whatever but again it's a consistency of these of these beliefs that's that's expressed time and again that I find really really interesting and yeah, ghost hunting is not as cut and dry as people want to think it is by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Absolutely, I have another question for you too, real quick. Um, mm-hmm. These guys that have gotten Sasquatch voices, what do you think of that? I don't know. You know, I mean, so we're talking about Ann Slate and Al, not Ann Slate and Alberry, Alberry and uh, Ron Moorhead's Sierra Sounds that they got mm-hmm. in the Sierra Camp. Um, I think it's like forty miles of hard road from anywhere, like really mm-hmm. remote. Um, and uh, they record. They got some. They left a recorder out, and they got some uh, some voices that sound really. And they've been they were analyzed by U.S. Navy cryptolinguist Scott Nelson, who said that he perceived um, the building blocks of language, which are terms that you use if you're in that line of work. That I'm not gonna I'm gonna make myself a fool if I try to remember what they're called. But basically, there was there was there was some structure to it that was indicative of, of a language, not a known language, but it had the sort of attacks and whatnot. And there are individuals who are. Um, sort of voice of or vocal um uh forensic sort of individuals who said that you know the human voice can't make these sounds i don't know i think somebody really talented could i can i can uh, i can be goofy and sort of make the same noise as myself to a degree um and it's not like i'm you know practicing every either or i am don't tell anybody um (laughs) but uh you know, so I, I think that they're really interesting. Um, I think that it's two things from that I find even more compelling are the fact that you'll talk to people or hear reports from people who have never heard those recordings, and they'll say, oh, it's they're almost always described in the same way uh, to varying degrees of, of you know, offensiveness um, as, like, samurai chatter or um, Russians speaking backwards or... I heard one person say it sounded like a 
drunk deaf Amish man or something. But like the again, like I said, to, to varying degrees of of, of offensibility. Um, but um, but there but there's always sort of like there's typically a sort of reverse or gibberish component co- coupled with people describing like an Asiatic language. Typically, they'll say Japanese, right. Russian, and Chinese. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when you listen to the recordings, you can kind of see why they'd say that. Um, and the, the people say samurai because it's got it's the, by saying that you can get this sort of guttural quality that you associate with all those Akira Kurosawa films and you know and uh, in the Japanese language. Um, but uh, so I mean, I think it's I think that's interesting. I don't know if I don't know. It implies to me that people who've never heard those recordings report that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a friend. Uh, Ren Collier, who who told me, who asked me one time, he says, "Josh, have you ever considered how much those things, those those recordings, sound like barbarous words?" I'm like, Ren, I have no idea what barbarous words are, so you've got to explain that to me. And it's 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 um could be equated with kind of speaking in tongues, um, in some of the you know the uh, I guess Pentecostal traditions, um, but it's also you know a, a very common thing in magical practice where you'll get these these texts that say, "Oh, these are ancient." Um, you know, ancient Hebrew words that have been lost to time or ancient Lemurian words or any number of things. And really what it is, is typically a translated Middle Eastern language of something, but there's plenty of made up words. It just sounds like, you know, it sounds real-ish, right? And it's very, it sounds very close as in terms of a description to what those barbarous words sound like. And uh, coming back around to what Tim and I kept on finding in the research is that Everything that you see in the Bigfoot lore um, has some sort of antecedent with primarily European wild man myths. Um, you know, even when you would find it in indigenous lore, there'd be, oh, well, people said that in the old world about wild men. And these wild men were not, were never imagined as big monkeys right <laughs> these right. wild men these wild men were always imagined as, as magical beings as almost like you know sort of fairy folk kind of beings and one of the things uh, in addition to everything else that we found you know size sh- shifting shape shifting living underwater like weird outliers in bigfoot lore you can find in, in these old wild man legends and one of the things that you could find in the wild man legends was them saying that oh yeah wild men could speak but it was an incomprehensible made-up language that sounded like gibberish it's like, well, it's it's a it's a pretty good it's a pretty good description of this Sierra sounds for sure. That's interesting. Very interesting. Um, let's talk about fairy lore a little bit. Yeah, it's my. I don't know how. I don't know why I got so involved with that. Um, but for some reason, it. Uh, well, as my co-author says, a friend of his told him, uh, I follow the things that hum. And for me, fairy lore hums, I guess. <laughs> so what have you found out? I mean, there's obviously fairies out in the woods. You know, you've got your, you got your wood fairy. You know, you, you write me. <laughs> so you tell me. Well, um, so I, I don't think people sort of get this a little bit confused because I am at the point now where I can't separate the alien abduction experience from a lot of this fairy lore. Um, okay. I just can't because I would place a bet that anything that you find in alien abduction folklore has at least a vague antecedent in fairy folklore. And I even mean stuff like 
implants, like, you know, in, in alien abduction lore, a variation of that shows up in terms of the fairy blast, um, you know, ships in the sky, all these things, missing time. Uh, it's just, it, 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 every single aspect is mirrored. And, you know, if you use the, uh, the associative property, um, if, if, uh, Bigfoot share a lot of things with alien, alien folklore, UFO folklore, whatever that is. Um, and that's shared with fairies. Then, you know, by the transitive property, Bigfoot share a lot with fairies and, and they do, um, all those, you know, alien similarities between fairies and, and Bigfoot, um, are, you know, are they're shared by all three, but also, um, you know, you, you can't overlook the fact that uh, there was, you know, the Wadwos, which was kind of like a wild man, but was regarded, again, not as a big monkey, but as sort of a fairy folk. And it was a tall, hairy, shaggy being. Um, you even look at the descriptions of some fairies. You know, we tend to think about them being, you know, in their little vests and their little hats. And, like, you do find some descriptions of that. But with some of the fairies, especially the household variety, like brownies and uh some of the french goblins and uh pick in in parts of germany i believe um were described as like little tiny hairy creatures with these monkey faces and you know there are sightings of these little foot sightings of little hairy people you know this is something that the people will say oh it's a juvenile bigfoot well maybe but it sounds just like <laughs> these other descriptions and, and they're contemporary and by contemporary i mean like the 1950s and such descriptions of people who still see these little hairy creatures and say oh it's a fairy because i'll see them in the british isles or they'll see them in scotland or something um and of course the biggest uh the biggest part that people have trouble with associating bigfoot with fairies is the size right because bigfoot's gigantic and fairies are small but fairy size and shapeshifters and um you find stories of bigfoot being size and shapeshifters especially in indigenous american lore um so that's not really that much of a barrier to sort of thinking about them both the same way to say nothing of the fact that uh you know giants and trolls are fairy folk as well and yeah. bigfoot sounds a lot like a giant or a troll so you have all these things then you have these other really specific details that i find really interesting like um the braiding of horses manes which uh believe it or not uh, some people claim that Bigfoot likes to steal into stables and braid horses' manes at night. Now, I think that a lot of these are people who don't brush their horses' manes, but it's a thing. It's a thing in the right. Bigfoot community. Like, you can find tons of people talking about this. Some of the photographic evidence is more believable than others, right? I have found a report of a Russian researcher who says that he saw an Almesty crawl into a stable one night and braid his hair. And he watched this thing, this basically this Russian Bigfoot braid his uh, uh, horse's wow. hair, right? Don't know if that's true or not, but what I will say is that in Europe, that was the exact same thing that they'd say fairies would do. They'd sneak into the stables at night, they'd braid the horse's manes to make stirrups, and they'd go out riding with, with you know, the goddess Diana or whatever. Same thing with witches. They'd say witches would braid horses' manes too. So that, to me, is, is almost what I find more interesting than, you know, the objective reality of any, any of these things, is the way that that myth is transmitted through through time to these beings that we, that we believe, you know, live around us then that share the land with us. So, I mean, there are lots of different points of comparison that you can make between fairy folk and Bigfoot um, mm -hmm. to the extent that like, you know, Bigfoot's kind of a big fairy and people will get sort of not, people will get frustrated because they'll think I'm saying that all these things are fairies mm -hmm. or that, you know, all the fairies were aliens. And I don't mean either of those things. I said this before, but 
I, I think that fairy folklore is a very consistent uh, body of folklore to, to view a lot of par basically most paranormal entities through. But having said that, I don't think fairies are aliens or aliens are fairies or Bigfoot are fairies. Or, I just think they're all imperfect ways of describing the same phenomena and they're all trying to get at the same thing it's, it's like the uh, the blind man and the elephant right you know one holds mm -hmm. the trunk and says it's a snake and one holds the the ears and says it's a it's a flatbread or something you know it's i think it's it's more it's more akin to that um but it's there's a lot of a lot of a lot of cross-pollination there for sure um have you seen those photos from many 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 years ago supposedly of, of fairies uh, the Cottingly fairy photographs? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're charming. I love them. I think that uh, if memory serves, I think the girls said they were all fake except one photograph, which was like, that's a weird claim to make, right? You know, you think that you'd come out and say they're all fake. Um, apparently the girls said that they actually had interactions with fairies, but wanted to prove the adults wrong. So that's when they made the cutouts. And uh, in case anybody's listening, you can look them up. Cottingly fairy photographs. They're still out there. Fooled Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Of course, he was very eager to be, uh, to be fooled. You know, it's, the photographs, it's so frustrating. I don't know about you, but I just don't look at, photos of Bigfoot or videos of Bigfoot or anything because like it's I don't think we're gonna get any answers to any of this stuff anytime soon again not that I don't think these things are real and genuinely right. anomalous right I think these things are real and they don't fit into our our idea of, the, of how the world works like I think they're 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 a warning that our world doesn't work the way we think it does but um you know I think that Bigfoot's always going to be blurry because I think that sits behind this phenomena um has a way of making sure that it's pulling the strings and will never be outed unless it wants mm -hmm. to, which I don't think it ever will. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of the complaints are if, if there's so many sightings, why hasn't anybody gotten a decent picture? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I heard, okay. So it's a couple of things. Number one, you've got the idea that there's this sort of narrative or this sort of, there's a possibility that there's some sort of power, behind the scenes that can, pull, again, pull every string that it wants to, right? A. B, um, it takes me a long time to get, number, B, so A, that, B, it takes me a long time to get my camera ready, right? Phone ready. C, um, a lot of people, when you see stuff, you're just like gobsmacked. You can't even, you know. Right. If, if you're really that terrified, which a lot of people are, last thing you're thinking about, right? <laughs> um, and then... <laughs> I heard somebody I had somebody at a conference who was like, uh, who was a, uh, I, I, I say this lovingly, a cat lady, right? And she said to herself that there was one of her cats that she had never gotten a photograph of, even though she tried because it was always every time she get that camera ready, it would just bounce right away. So I thought that was a really, a really charming way of saying that you know, yeah, just because we have the we have the technology to capture this stuff doesn't mean that we have the ability or the foresight or the opportunity to, you know. And, you know, if, if anybody's ever taken a picture of, like, the moon or anything, like a plane in the night sky, like, it always turns out like garbage. Right. You know? Yeah. And then when you think about it, if you do see something like that, you're you're, you're scared. You're going to hold up your cell phone. Your hands are shaking. So it's yeah. not going to be a clear photo no matter what you do, you know? If, if you have steady hands to begin with, like, my hands shake. Any, oh, so do I, I, Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm a photographer yeah. and I have to I have to do that whole human tripod thing because I cannot take night shots for anything. Oh, well, so, anything. so so yeah, well, so I'm in good company then. Yeah, I, yeah. I try to take a picture of like a, a passage from a book and it always comes out blurry and I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, um what do you th- where do you see the future of the Bigfoot fairy research going? Um staying the course honestly. <laughs> um you know, I I I, uh, for the same reasons that I was sort of cynical about the whole UFO release, um, I think that these phenomena, by which I mean everything, you know, ghosts and Bigfoot and fairies and aliens, um, I think that they are uh, traveling companions with humanity and have been forever and will be forever. And I think that. Uh, they're not going to be put into a bottle. The only thing is, the only thing that might change is you might get more people to believe in it. But as far as like ever having a smoking gun, I think it's, I think the very nature of it, it's sort of baked in to always remain innocuous and marginalized. Um, I think there's, I think the phenomenon is in complete control, as we sort of alluded to, of of uh, of of people's perceptions, and I think it kind of likes being in that space. So, you know, I think that. Bigfootery specifically um, is, I think it's actually going in a really positive direction. Um, I think ufology is going backwards. Um, so I got into this, these topics actually relatively recently, um, uh-huh. like 2015 was my first book. Um, but uh, even in that amount of time, uh, I've seen the UFO topic become much more open to ideas of altered states of consciousness and uh-huh. these sort of highfalutin <laughs> ideas that I've been talking about on this show. And then I think with a lot of the uh, the sort of recent interest in UFOs, it sort of slid back into the, those old nuts and bolts sort of ideas, right? It's it's little green scientists here who are who are tagging us and releasing us, um, and. Uh, Oh, there's anything wrong with that, but you have to explain why people see dead loved ones aboard spaceships and why people have profound synchronicities in their lives and stuff like that, right? But Bigfootery, Bigfootery, um, I, I think is still going in a really positive direction because, again, in a much shorter amount of time, people are talking about the weird stuff. Um, Timothy and I expected to be roundly attacked for this book, and there have been a little bit of griping here and there, but for the most part, it's been really welcomed by a lot of people in the community with open arms. I feel like a lot of people have felt like they can finally talk about some of these outliers. So I think that I think that the, the Bigfoot community is, is a lot more open to these ideas, and you can talk about the sort of paranormal ideas now without being uh, considered a complete buffoon. And I think that's encouraging, because... If you believe a witness when they say that they saw a big monkey cross the road um, and you write that down and you're happy to get that account and then they add into a flying saucer, <laughs> uh, you know, if you believe the witness, you believe the witness. You know, I think that it comes down to that. Um, if a person seems credible and their story seems credible up to a certain point, but then they just go in a direction that you can't abide. Uh, I just don't know how conscience write them off completely. You must have had mounds and mounds of research to go through to write these books. Yeah, I'm. So it's 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 a couple of different things. I have a pretty healthy library. Um, I am a child of the internet in a lot of ways, and by that I don't mean that I don't mean that I'm you know uh, necessarily taking data from really shoddy or sketchy websites. But like Google Books is amazing. 
archive.org is amazing. Um, there's some really great resources for finding, you know, actual um, scholarly, well-researched texts. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so there's that. There's also a couple of online academic journals uh, that, I'm, that I'm, I have access to. Um, I have access to, I'm, I'm still close to my alma mater, which is a, 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 being, having access to a university library that you can go to is a great mm -hmm. thing. Um, and then I, you know, I, I do have a bunch of books and paranormal podcasts. Like I will always be indebted to paranormal podcasts of all sorts because I listen to them nonstop, by which I mean like literally not like nonstop <laughs> in the car, mowing the lawn, playing video games, like whatever <laughs> I'm doing. Right. And, uh, in the shower, um, and invariably, you know, once a week, I'll find something from some show that resonates with something I'm talking about. So it's a huge component in my research as well. But yeah, um, I, I sort of have a reputation for a lot of endnotes <laughs> and big bibliographies. So yeah. yeah. That's the thing. You know, I could talk to you all day. Well, likewise, this has been very pleasant. It's been so fun, you know? Yeah. And I, would love, I would love to get you on again if, if you're willing to do that, because there's so much more you know, you've written about, and, and I'd just love to go over that stuff with you. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I am really passionate about it, and yeah, we'll have to do this again. I'll, yes, I'll try definitely. To, I'll, I'll try to be a little bit better with communicating next time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So how do people get a hold of you, or, or where can they find you? Uh, my website is joshuacutchin.com, J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N. Uh, there's some blog posts up there. It's real infrequent. Um because I tend to focus on the long form stuff more, but I do keep up to date on um, all my interviews okay. are all, are all locked there as well as links to all my books that you can just go, go through my website. And, you know, if you can get stuff from brick and mortar stores, that's great. I prefer that because okay. I love myself a good bookstore, but if you have to go through one of the big online booksellers, I understand that is a matter of accessibility too. There you go. Thank you so much. And let's schedule another show. Absolutely. Let's do it. This was terrific. Thank I you. Had I had a great a... time talking to you, and uh, yeah. Likewise, Fantastic. and congrats on the show blowing up. It's that's good news. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yep. All right. Thank you, Joshua. All right. Take care. You too. All right, guys. That was a great show. It was a lot of fun, and uh, wow, I, I can't wait to get him on again to talk about some other stuff because he's got some other interesting books out that that just knocked my socks off. But. Uh, shifting gears a little bit tomorrow we're gonna put my my news hat on and uh, we're gonna have a lady on who uh, is a counselor for people uh, going through grief and she's she's got a proven technique to turn your grief into a positive thing so we're going to be talking with her tomorrow anyway if you like tonight's show share it share it with five people if you didn't like tonight's show share it with five five of your enemies that's how we're getting the word out. That's how we're getting this thing built up. Little by little, boom, 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 boom. It's getting bigger and bigger. So uh, again, uh, share it. Share, share, share. And if you want to help us out a little bit to stay on the air, because the paranormal group itself is nonprofit, so all this comes out of pocket, you can help us by uh, a donation, you know, to keep informative guests coming, to the like, like Joshua. Donate to paypal.me at California Haunts, and uh, I would be eternally grateful. And we can keep things rolling. But anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. And I will see you tomorrow at uh, 6.25 p.m. PDT. I love the whole PDT. And I'm also going to let you know, uh, we're going to show Joshua's website again, his books, so you guys have an idea of the books he's written and what I'm excited about. And, uh, yeah, here we go.
That's websites, facebook.com forward slash Cutchin and joshuacutchin.com for the websites. Books available on his website. You can also hopefully get them on Amazon. And one of the books is Thieves of the Night. Brimstone Deceit, A Trojan Feast. And of course, where the footprints where the footprints end, volume one and two. So as I said before, have a good evening. I will see you here tomorrow. Bye-bye.